African History Network and also on our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. Uh, so you can watch us there and we're on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF uh, here in Detroit. OK, so, you know, on Friday's show, we talked about how the uh, migrant camp there in Del Rio, Texas, has been cleared out. And, we, and uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, Security Alejandro Mayorkas gave a press conference on Friday, the most extensive one so far to give an update on what's taking place, the migrants that are allowed to stay and apply for political asylum, the uh, 8,000 chose to go back to Mexico, et cetera. We also talked about this on Roland Martin Unfiltered on Friday. I'm gonna share a segment, a couple of segments from Roland Martin Unfiltered where we discussed this. You know, we've been talking about this on the show basically all week and trying to give you the most accurate information that we have up to date. Not what I think happened, not conspiracy theory, not that nonsense, a lot of nonsense you see floating around on social media, but as best as we know it, dealing with facts and evidence. Now, something interesting that has happened, and I, and I, I monitor about 35 different news sources on a daily basis, um, right-wing media has been, uh, has been jumping on comments from the photographer who took the pictures of the uh, Border Patrol on horses swinging the leather leather reins. They did not have whips. They had reins. They're not equipped with whips. They didn't have whips. And this is one of the reasons why you have to have a thorough investigation from beginning to end to separate fact from fiction to actually understand what took place. And there have been numerous reports that talk, talked about how uh, those were not whips, those were leather reins. They have long reins to control the horses. Border Patrol Union, the Border Patrol Union is blasting the White House's decision to suspend the horse unit. Okay, so the horse unit is being suspended temporarily to investigate what actually took place. There's going to be a thorough investigation, which is definitely what you need. And I was reading some statements from the Border Patrol. They talk about the usage of the horses and the usage of the long reins and to control the horses, things like this. And I watch MSNBC a lot, but a lot of this narrative is not being told in a lot of mainstream media. Um, and then the horses uh, do search and rescue, but also that terrain that they're on it right there. They're real. Texas is not conducive to driving vehicles. So horses are used a lot. So now the border patrol union blasts the white house decision to suspend horse unit following, uh, according to townhall.com, what they call fake news about whips. So there's been a backlash in right wing media. And then also today representative Tulsi Gabbard, I just saw the article before coming on, on the air representative Tulsi Gabbard, of Hawaii Democrat um, is blasting Joe Biden for denouncing and condemning the actions of those in the border patrol on horse. Okay. Now he's not, he's not talking about everybody in the border patrol, but those on horses in the video that we saw, et cetera. Okay. There was an article from blaze.com and I don't pay attention a whole lot of attention to the blaze. I look at some, I look at some of the information is right wing media. Okay. But 
I pay attention to what's going on in in Fox News, conservative talk radio. They are attacking the comments from Joe Biden, denouncing the actions of those on um, Border Patrol on horseback, denouncing uh, Joe Biden, talking about them blocking the migrants from coming in, et cetera. And um, Tulsi Gabbard hits Biden for being judge, jury, executioner by Biden attacking the border or condemning actions from certain members of the Border Patrol agents over what the blaze is calling a false narrative. Um, We're going to talk some about this because once again, when we deal with stories like this, we have to get all the facts. We have to get facts that we agree with and don't agree with, because sometimes you may find out things that are true that you don't like. And this is why you have to have a, a thorough investigation from beginning to end, period. And I've been doing radio 11 years. I know to get the facts, whether I like them or not. Sometimes the information that I get that the facts contradict what I thought happened. So that's why you have to have a thorough investigation here. Um, so we'll, we'll talk some about this because it, it's interesting how right-wing media is jumping on this when many of them don't want non-white people immigrating into the country in the first place. And they're, and they're attacking the Biden, the Biden administration over uh, suspending the horse patrol, over condemning the actions of some on the border patrol but the other thing is is and this is a question i asked for Roland because the the the, the more i research this the more questions I, I i have governor greg abbott of texas ordered uh 800 vehicles to form a line to block off the border the uh, the, the border between uh del rio texas and mexico Okay, there's a big article from the New York Times. Okay, there's a big article from the New York Times that we talked about on our show uh, Friday. Thousands of Haitians allowed to stay in U.S. as Texas camp clears out. Okay, and now one of the other things is this is why a lot of this BS floating around on social media. I don't buy into. We deal with facts and evidence as best as as best as we know them. Okay, um, a, a, a lot of this stuff floating around didn't deal with the fact that 12,400 Haitians are being allowed to stay and apply for political asylum. I was watching, he, he's here on the network, but I was watching Reverend Al Sharpton on Politics Nation uh, on yesterday, Sunday, so it was Saturday. And it took him about 15 minutes to talk about thousands of Haitians who were allowed to stay. I just... You know, we don't we don't do like shock radio or radio to infuriate people. We focus on educating, empowering and inspiring people. Of African descent throughout the world and in the diaspora, because right now it's correct wrong behavior. This article here from Thursday, September 23rd, New York Times, we talked about it here on this show. And I'm going to try to pull it up here and show this on the big screen. Thousands of Haitians allowed to stay in the U.S. as Texas camp clears out. Now, this was Thursday. The camp totally cleared out on Friday. 
But even going back to Monday on NBC Nightly News, and we played the, played the clip here on the show, that was Monday was the September 20th. On the clip that we played from NBC Nightly News, they talked about how a lot of Haitians were being allowed to stay and apply for political asylum. So why wasn't that talked about a lot? You, you just have to sit back. I've been doing media long enough to know to ask questions. You have to sit back and say, because I'm looking and I'm looking at all this information. I'm saying, well, wait a second. You got a lot of them being allowed to stay. Why isn't that at the forefront? Why isn't that being talked about a lot? Uh, but a line of Texas Department of Public Safety vehicles lined the bank of the Rio Grande near an encampment of migrants. And uh, I think it was Associated Press. They had an uh, article. I was it was like two o'clock in the morning after the, after our, our show because we were on Monday through Friday, eleven p.m. to midnight Eastern Standard Time. So, you know, I got done with the show. I head to bed. I'm in bed reading articles and I'm reading this article from the Associated Press that deals with how Governor Greg Abbott of Texas had ordered these cars along the border to block the entrance. And I'm like, okay, is that legal? Maybe it is. I don't know. That's why when we deal with these immigration laws, and we deal with the border and you deal with a governor that's also responsible for the border, but you also deal with border patrol that's federal government. We have to know, okay, who's responsible for what? Can they just shut off the border? You know, what's legal, what's not legal, et cetera. When migrants come through, can you block them from coming? Is it, you know, we need to know all of this. And at the same time, there has to be uh, at the same time, you have to have immigration reform. Now, I've been talking about that for years here on this show. And when I talked about immigration reform in the past, because people, black people do immigrate to the country from Nigeria, from the Congo, from uh, uh, Haiti, from all different types. All you got to do is go through the Bronx, go through the New York area. You see, it looks like the United Nations. I've been to the Bronx. I've been to Brooklyn. First time I went to Brooklyn, I thought I was at the United Nations. Because a lot of people have flags on their cars from the countries they're with. And this black people, I mean, I remember the first time I went to Brooklyn, I was on uh, I think it was Flatbush Avenue. I was at a T-Mobile store because I was doing a marketing promotion. I was at a T-Mobile store. So I'm in the store. And I see some brothers walk in and I go to speak to them. They're speaking Spanish and that's their language. These are these are people of African descent, but they're from a, a Spanish speaking country. It blew my mind. I mean, I read about it. When the first time I went, it was like 10 years ago. It blew my mind. OK, and to see all these different people of African descent talking and they're speaking with accents from the countries they're from. So. If we look at this piece right here, and we're coming up on the break, when we come back, we're going to talk about Melvin Van Peebles, the godfather of uh, black cinema, who passed away this week. We talked about him early in the week a little bit, but there was a very uh, important, touching uh, message that Melvin, that, that um, Melvin Van Peebles passed away. Mario Van Peebles, the son, he put out a video a couple of days ago. 
talking about the passing of his father. We'll share that with you as well. And we'll talk some about uh, Melvin, Van, Melvin Van Peebles, the uh, godfather of black cinema. But it's, so this article here from the New York Times, this came out uh, Thursday, September 23rd. OK, thousands of Haitians allowed to stay in U.S. as Texas camp clears out. So when you go look at this, they have the pictures of all these cars lined up and they're there uh, lined the uh, bank of the, near the encampment. OK, but when, when you read about this, Governor Greg Abbott ordered them to line up to block the entrance at the border. And I'm like, OK, so is that legal? We'll do it for all this on the other side of the break. You listen to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network, subscribe now. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting, LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365, and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. First station, the oldest radio station in town since 1922. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Sunday, September 26, 2021, and we are live. Call the numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. And if you were at the uh, screening and discussion of the film Hot P today at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, we know we didn't have a chance. We were dealing with limited time and did not have a chance to go to the uh, go to the audience for questions or what have you. But if you want to uh, uh, give us a call and uh, tell us about the experience and if you have any questions, what have you, uh, you can definitely give us a call. 313-778-7600 is the call in number. Let us know what you thought about the film also. It's a fantastic film by uh, director Taiki Grant and uh, executive producer uh, Felicia Hardin. Uh, I was on Hot Pete Talks. Uh, with Dr. Leonard Jeffries and uh, Felicia and Taiki on Thursday. We're going to share a clip of that uh, with you as well. 
uh, we broadcast on the social media platforms. We had a panel discussion. Uh, Chef Neza, who people know here in Detroit, Chef Neza was on the panel today and Thursday, and also Malikia Kenny from uh, Black Food Security Network and D-Town Harvest Farms was there, and uh, Demetrius Hutcherson, executive uh, president of um, uh, First Independence Bank, and also uh, Dr. Ken Harris of the National Business League. Okay, Dr. Ken Harris was on the panel today also. So we had a, a good time. People learned a lot. We're going to do something like that. We're going to have to do something like that again soon as well. All right. Now, on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now, we deal with a number of different topics here on the African History Network show. We deal with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter. Also visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Sign up for the email newsletter there as well. Uh, you can register for the uh, I Teach Online courses, so a lot of people find that out today at the um, screening of the documentary. Uh, I teach an online course on Saturday called uh, From the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. And we look at uh, history leading up to the Civil War, but specifically we look at history from the Civil War about, about 1865 through the uh, 1968 Black Power Movement assassination of Dr. King. So we do uh, Civil War, Reconstruction, 1865 to 1877. Uh, we look at uh, the end of Reconstruction with the Compromise of 1877, Jim Crow era. Uh, uh, we look at World War One, World War Two, civil rights movement, black power movement to understand what happened to us after slavery ended and the laws and policies put in place to bring us to where we are today. So we understand where we need to go from here. So uh, you can register for that class now. As soon as you register, you can watch the class we just did yesterday. It's a 10 week online course. Um, and. We do the classes live on Saturdays, usually 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But all the sessions are recorded. All the sessions are recorded so you can go back and watch it any time. So if you work nights, you can watch whenever you want to. You work days, watch whenever you want to. And you even after the 10-week online course is over with, you'll have access to the course. Uh, you can watch the full course. Like next year, you want to watch it, you go back and watch the full course. Okay. Uh, uh, yesterday we talked about Plessy versus Ferguson, 1896 U.S. Supreme Court case. Uh, we talked about the um, Louisiana State Constitution in 1898 that implemented that uh, made legal poll taxes, literacy tests, but also uh, property uh, uh, ownership requirements to be able to vote. Uh, we talked some more about the Mississippi State Constitution of 1890. We dealt with the uh, talked about the law case of Williams versus Mississippi, 1898, which uh, was suing the state of Mississippi because of the poll taxes and literacy tests and um, impediments to the uh, 15th Amendment. 
that uh, the Mississippi State uh, Convention uh, passed in 1890, which was known as the Mississippi Plan. And they actually said, uh, we are here to exclude the Negro. They actually said, we are here to exclude the Negro. There's a big article from um, the Washington Post that deals with what's known as the Mississippi Plan to suppress the African-American vote. And this, th these are things that take place after Reconstruction ends, okay? Um, and when you look at the Voting Rights Act of 1965, you had to have a Voting Rights Act of 1965 to give protection and reverse what took place at the what took place in Florida in 1899, because Florida was the first state to have poll taxes. What took place with the Texas State Constitution in 1876, the Mississippi State Constitution in 1890, South Carolina South Carolina State Constitution in 1895, Louisiana 1898, Alabama State Constitution in 1901, all geared towards suppressing the African American vote uh, and trying to lock African-Americans out of political power, even in where we were the majority of the population, like in Mississippi, even in states where we were the majority of the population. OK, so this is what we deal with in this 10 uh, week online course. And what was what was known as the Mississippi plan became the model for what other southern states adopted to totally regain control. White supremacists totally regain control of the entire political structure in these uh, southern states and to. Uh, lock us out of politics, but also to attack us economically as well and, and attack the um, economic development that we were engaged in also. So uh, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We'll post a link here in the broadcast. You can register for that 10-week uh, online course also. Okay, now, during the break, um, I was able to find this article because it's, it's so many of them. I have some bookmarks. I think the original one I saw was from uh, the uh, Associated Press, but this one is from Washington Post. This will do. Okay. Now, this is from September 22nd. Okay. September 22nd was Wednesday. Texas Governor Greg Abbott sends miles of cars along border to deter migrants. The Republicans said this, quote unquote, steel wall, S-T-E-E-L, steel wall of vehicles was meant to stop migrants from crossing the dam, D-A-M. OK, so I'm trying to figure out, OK, is this legal? I mean, maybe it is. I don't know, but I'm, I'm like, wait a second. Hold on. It's September 20th. Read this article. Texas Governor Greg Abbott, Republican. Has sent a fleet of state-owned vehicles to line up for miles as a barricade along the border with Mexico, insisting the state being quote-unquote unprecedented steps as thousands of migrants still seek to cross into the United States. Now, this is from Wednesday, September 22nd. I don't know if the steel barrier is still there. I don't know, okay? But I was reading this, and one of the articles I saw, okay, so it was Wednesday when this come out. When the articles I saw, yeah, 6.42 a.m., this one came out. I think the one from Associated Press. I was laying in bed reading articles, and I'm like, what the heck is this? Quote, the steel wall of cars, as Governor Greg Abbott called it, is only the latest of the stark images coming from the crisis unfolding in Del Rio, Texas, where at the time of this article, nearly 15,000 border crossers, many Haitians living in Chile and other South American nations have arrived. We know the camp has been cleared out 
and we've been talking about this every day because they their their labor their cheap labor especially Haitians has been exploited in 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 Brazil and Chile and they've been they're being pushed out of those countries okay for various reasons they're being pushed out of those countries the homeland security department is investigating reports that border patrols on horseback attempted to grab migrants and push them back toward Mexico captured in scenes Sunday this past Sunday uh along the Rio Grande Sunday was uh, September 19th okay read this full article here and now this is a tweet from Governor Greg Abbott he said Texas Department of Public Safety troopers and Texas National Guard are are stanching the flow of illegal migrants trying to cross into the Del Rio region more law enforcement and National Guard are added daily to secure the region from the potential influx of illegal immigrants okay he didn't call them like human beings or things like this so that tweet looks like the tweet is from september 19th okay um governor greg abbott has long championed the construction of a physical border wall in texas a major priority of benedict donald the trading chief um in addition to the use of quote-unquote strategic fencing right uh now governor greg Abbott slammed the Biden administration while assisting his state will continue to take action, including by injecting $2 billion toward border security funding. It has been the state of Texas that has had to step up. Abbott said uh, this past Tuesday at a news conference from Del Rio, failure to enforce laws that exist in the United States leads to chaos and chaos leads to inhumanity. Okay. He's given that Greg Abbott is not one to talk about inhumanity. Okay. And I think most people are for, you know, securing the borders especially at the northern border where you got a lot of white undocumented immigrants coming but it most people force it in the borders i just find this interesting i'm not i'm trying to figure out, is this legal so read this one now um i want to go to we're going to talk about melvin van peoples and also the uh, muhammad ali documentary documentary on pbs the four-part series uh, Muhammad Ali. I've watched part two in this entirety. If you saw the Muhammad Ali documentary also on PBS, any other segments, you can call in. You can weigh in, weigh in on the conversation uh, also. Um, let's see here. Okay. Okay. All right. We got the audio ready. All right. So what I want to do is I want to go to this first clip here. This first clip this is from NBC Nightly News. This is from Friday, September 24th. And it's, uh, they're talking about the uh, migrant camp being cleared out. Okay, let's go to this clip, Jalen. Tonight, the camp that was once packed with 15,000 migrants, gone. Bulldozers working to clear the remnants near the bridge. There are no longer any migrants in the camp. The Homeland Security Secretary now detailing where the migrants have gone. The majority from the camp, over 12,000, released into the U.S. and asked to go to immigration centers to make asylum claims. 2,000 were deported to Haiti, and 8,000 migrants returned voluntarily to Mexico. 
and gets a like Jean and his wife Jessica now crossing back fearing deportation. He says he's decided to come back and stay in Mexico because he's scared that they might send them uh, back to Haiti. They'll join hundreds still sleeping across the Rio Grande in Ciudad Acuña. Men, women, and families with children now under growing pressure to relocate away from the border. Meanwhile, President Biden addressing those images of Border Patrol agents on horseback. An investigation is ongoing. Of course, I take responsibility. I'm president, but it was horrible what to see. I promise you those people will pay. Now, one big question here is how long will the border bridge remain closed with people on both sides desperate to get the economy going once again? Okay, so that is from Friday, September 24th, uh, NBC Nightly News. Uh, You can watch that clip in its entirety at NBC.com. And uh, the the, the name of that clip uh, actually is, we'll post the link here on the thread of the broadcast also, Migrant Camp beneath del rio border bridge cleared out okay that's the name of uh that clip so you can watch it um in its entirety now washington post had a uh article from friday september 24th and i talked about this on roller martin unfiltered we're gonna go to clip two uh jaylen just a second from roller martin unfiltered uh, I, I talked about this when i was on Roland show and, you know, we've been dealing with this basically um, almost every day here on the African History Network show. Okay, so this is uh, all migrants have been cleared from encampment in Del Rio, Texas, Homeland Security Secretary says. And they go through and break down uh, the numbers. Um, the Biden administration, so just a second, the Biden administration said Friday it had finished clearing out the Yotic border camp in Del Rio, Texas, where images of U.S. agents on horseback pursuing migrants subjected the president to withering criticisms, uh, criticism this week. Uh, Homeland Security uh, Secretary uh, Alejandro Mayorkas told reporters during a White House briefing on Friday, and I watched the briefing on Friday, it's the most extensive one that we've had so far. He, he, uh, Mayorkas uh, gave a brief press conference early in the week. I think it was Monday. The extensive one that he gave Friday, he should have given that one like Wednesday to go through step by step and talk about what you know so far. Uh, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas told reporters during the White House briefing on Friday, September 24th, that the encampment was emptied several days ahead of schedule, the result of an extensive federal mobilization and quote unquote, as he put it, heroic efforts by his department's workforce. He said less than one week ago, there were approximately 15,000 migrants in Del Rio, Texas, the great majority of whom were Haitian nationals. As of this morning, there are no longer any migrants in the camp underneath the Del Rio International Bridge. Now, contrary to popular belief, majority, about 97% of these migrants did not come directly from Haiti. They've been living in South America, they've been living in Central American countries, they've been living in Chile for years, and and they largely left after the 2010 earthquake. Their labor was exploited, like in Brazil, for instance. This article goes back, there are two really, really good articles that give some background information. We talked about them here on this show, because a lot of this BS floating around on social media we don't deal with. There's one from the USA Today that everybody should read, Del Rio Migrant Crisis, how did so many Haitians end up at the southern U.S. border? Del Rio migrant crisis. 
how did so many Haitians end up at the U.S. southern border? And it talks about how their labor was exploited in Brazil. And it, and, it, and it deals with Chile and then how they're being expelled out of those countries. And, and many of them are living in Mexico as well. So 8,000 chose to return back to Mexico. But a lot of a lot of this also has to do with misinformation that that got out about the temporary protective status, the temporary protective status and an extension to the temporary protection status. And a lot of misinformation got out that made people think that they could come here and get temporary protection status. But as you look at the, I guess it's the last second to last paragraph here in this piece. Uh, and this is something that has to be communicated more. Secretary Marcus said the administration had determined Haiti to be capable of taking back the returnees just weeks after finding the country too unsafe as Department of Homeland Security extended protected status to eligible Haitians present in the U United States before July 29th. You had to be present in the United States prior to July 29th to have the temporary protection status extended. And from information I'm seeing, misinformation was communicated and a lot of people thought they can come here and get TPS, but you had to be here prior to July 29th to be, to be able to get that status extended. Also, they were communicating through WhatsApp and communicating on social media about how to navigate and get here as well. There's a piece from the Associated Press that deals with that also. Um, so if we look at this one here, they go through and uh, they break down the numbers here. Let's see, second page. Of the 30,000 who arrived, let's see if we can get to that here. Of the 30,000 who arrived to that area there in Del Rio, Texas, of the border, after September 9th, 2021, about 12,400 have been allowed to request asylum. About 12,400 have been allowed to request asylum. Now, um, federal judge, um, uh, it's African-American federal judge Emmett Sullivan. Emmett Sullivan ruled that uh, families could stay and seek uh, political asylum. Okay, this is a, a federal judge ruling, and you'll read about that as well. Emmett Sullivan. Of the 30,000 who arrived to that area of the border after September 9th, about 12,400 have been allowed to request asylum or another form of humanitarian protection. So, my question is okay, what are the other forms of humanitarian protection? How do we get this information on the other forms of humanitarian protection. How is this information being disseminated? Because, and usually with political asylum, political asylum doesn't mean, well, I don't, um, I don't have food, don't have a job, so I'm going to come to the U.S. That's not political asylum. Usually political asylum means you're fleeing, being persecuted by the government where you are a citizen. It usually doesn't apply to uh, if you are a citizen of Haiti and you live in Mexico and you're being persecuted by the Mexican government, but you're not a citizen of Mexico, usually, usually political asylum deals with being persecuted by the government where you are a citizen of. Okay. But if there are other forms, if there's another form of humanitarian, humanitarian protection, what are those other forms? We need to know, we need to know about this because, and, and the other reason why this is important is because 
and I've, I've talked about this here on this show before, and we have black people call in and say and say immigration don't have nothing to do with us. And I say, yes, it does. If you think immigration doesn't have anything to do with us, you probably should not eat food that you didn't grow yourself because probably an immigrant has something to do with that food. So if you think it don't have nothing to do with us, don't eat food that you didn't grow yourself. But the other thing is um, when you study immigration in this country, black immigrants from the Caribbean, from Africa, et cetera, et cetera, they're the first ones to be deported. They're the first ones to be deported. So immigration definitely deals with us. You definitely have to have immigration before. You've needed that for years. It just has to be fair. It, it has to be fair. So a process, uh, so uh, 12,400 have been allowed to request asylum or another form of humanitarian protection, a process that typically means they are released from custody and allowed to remain in the United States while their claims are pending. Now, this is from Friday now, because when you go look at the one from uh, the New York Times from even Thursday, it talks about how they uh, no, is it the one from Thursday or which one is that one from? No, actually, it was the one from this one from before then that, okay, we'll find it. It's from uh, one of those days this week where it talks about they were allowed to uh, stay for 60 days while they apply for political asylum. Oh, this one right here. This is Associated Press Wednesday. Wednesday, September 22nd, Associated Press. Many Haitian migrants camped in Texas border town being released in U.S. officials say. Now, what's happening is you have a lot of Republicans and you have a lot of more Fox News who are now saying, well, wait a second. See, now they're talking about if, if they're not saying it explicitly, they are covertly talking about this black invasion. And they're like, uh, what, what's going on with here letting these Haitians in? Many have been released with notices to appear at an immigration office within 60 days, an outcome that requires less processing time from Border Patrol agents than ordering an appearance in immigration court and, and points to the speed at which authorities are moving, the official said. So this is from uh, th this one here is from NBC News. They picked it up from the Associated Press Wednesday, September 22nd, because you have a lot of Republicans. You watch Fox News and all this stuff. A lot of them are now, they sound like they're scared because black people are coming into the country. And, and they're like, you know, what's, what's, what's going on with all this? Secretary Mayorkas, going back to the piece from the Washington Post, Secretary Mayorkas uh, said about 2,000 migrants have been expelled to Haiti on a total of 17 flights organized by the Department of Homeland Security. Six more flights were scheduled on Friday, September 24th. Okay. Um, most of the, now about five, about 8,000 migrants, quote unquote, decided to return to Mexico voluntarily, he said. Most of the 8,000 migrants were part of those who arrived to the Del Rio, Texas camp, indicating more than half of the migrants who arrived there have returned to Mexico according to a DHS official. Uh, the remaining 5,000 are being processed. The remaining 5,000 migrants are being processed, quote unquote, to determine whether they will be expelled or placed in immigration removal proceedings. 
So my question is, now this may be clear, this is probably clear to Homeland Security and Secretary Mayorkas and the people that handle this. My question is, okay, so how do you determine who will be expelled and who gets placed in immigration removal procedures? Like how do you, how, what's the process or the criteria to determine who gets expelled and who gets to stay? Part of those questions have been answered, but I still have a lot of questions. Uh, let's go to let's go to clip two here. This is from Roland Martin Unfiltered uh, on Friday, September 24th. Let's go to this clip, Jalen. All right, folks, uh, let's talk about uh, Haiti. President Joe Biden has finally publicly addressed the treatment of Haitian migrants at the southern border. Biden vowed that there would be consequences for the actions displayed in Del Rio, Texas. On the campaign trail, that you were going to restore the moral standing of the U.S., that you were going to immediately end Trump's assault on the dignity of immigrant communities. Given what we saw at the border this Next week, guess. have you failed in that promise? And this is happening under rear watch. Do you take responsibility for the chaos that's unfolding? Of course, I take responsibility. I'm president, but it was horrible what you, see, what you saw. To see people treated like they did, horses barely running over, people being strapped. It's outrageous. I promise you, those people will pay. They will be an investigation underway now, and there will be consequences. There will be consequences. It's an embarrassment. It's beyond an embarrassment. It's dangerous. It's wrong. It sends the wrong message around the world. It sends the wrong message at home. It's simply not who we are. Vice President Kamala Harris also weighed in during her appearance today on The View. Human beings should not be treated that way, and as we all know, it also evoked images of some of the worst moments of our history, where that kind of behavior has been used against the indigenous people of our country, has been used against African Americans during times of slavery. And um, so I'm glad to, to know that, that Ali Mayorkas, the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, is taking it very seriously. Now, the reporter who shot the photos claims he did not see the border agents uh, swinging those horse reins at anyone, uh, that his photos are being misinterpreted. Oh, conservatives have been jumping at that thing. These officers should be reinstated. There should be an apology. Folks like The Hill and uh, Fox News uh, analyst um, Joe Concha. Okay. We're going to... Uh doesn't see what's going on in the oh. video. Okay. Um, let it play to the mark where I said stop. I can't remember which mark that is. Okay. I think that's, I think that's the end of that clip. Okay. We're going to go to clip three. Uh, Jalen, we're going to go to clip, clip three. Okay. Now we'll go to clip three in just a second. All right. So he talked about, Fox News and right-wing conservatives, right? So this article right here. Now, I just got the email from The Blaze, uh, another right-wing media uh, outlet. But this is from Fox News. This is from, um, this would be September 25th, Saturday, September 25th. Tulsi Gabbard, um, Democratic Congresswoman from Hawaii. Tulsi Gabbard is attacking Joe Biden for denouncing the actions of some in border patrol, not the entire border patrol, but some in border patrol, specifically those images 
that we saw on horseback that the, and the, once again, this is why you have to have a full investigation from beginning to end. I've been doing this long enough to know you need a full investigation because you have the photographer who's on the ground, who took the pictures, who's saying, who's giving a different narrative of what happened. But anyway, this is why you have to separate. You need a full investigation to separate fact and fiction. But Tulsi Gabbard is attacking Joe Biden and said Biden is acting as judge, jury, and executioner of border agents is absolutely wrong. You have people on the right saying that you're falsely accusing these border agents. She said, we don't have a democracy if we're a lawless country. Okay, says Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, former represent well, former representative Tulsi Gabbard, yeah, uh, called on uh, Joe Biden to apologize after his vow to punish Border Patrol officers over false quote unquote whipping claims Saturday night on Waters World. Uh, former representative Tulsi Gabbard warned that Biden's hasty actions to chastise the officers are the antithesis of innocent, of quote unquote innocent unless proven guilty undermining the country's democratic process. She said, how can they expect to have any kind of fair outcome to an investigation when the president of the United States has already declared their guilt and that they will be punished? The former congresswoman and presidential candidate expressed concern over the direction of the country after uh, President Joe Biden quickly laid down the gavel on his own border agents. Read the rest of this. Because is it this is this is brewing on the right wing and when uh secretary Mayorkas was uh at a senate hearing uh early i think it was wednesday or thursday he was getting grilled by senator ron johnson of wisconsin republican well senator ron johnson wasn't grilling him because he cares about the humanity of the haitians coming in here senator ron johnson is scared and he's wondering where these black people going because if you don't know who senator ron johnson is google his name that's the same senator who said same republican senator who said uh at the insurrection on january 6 he really didn't fear the insurrectionists because he thought these were like they were trump supporters law-abiding citizens but he said if they had been black lives matter activists he would have been a little scared that's senator ron johnson if you don't know who he is that's senator ron johnson google that idiot uh, now, this other one here, this is this gives a lot of background history. Uh, the real migrant crisis. How did the, uh, let's see here, the real migrant crisis. How did so many Haitians end up at the southern U.S. border? How did this is from uh, USA Today. How did so many Haitians uh, end up at the U.S. southern border? And it talks about how many of them left uh, Haiti years ago. And let's see, is this the right one? Around the Rio. Okay. How many of them left uh, Haiti years ago? And they've been in uh, South America. They've been in uh, Chile. They've, they've been in these other countries. And their labor has been, their cheap labor has been exploited. And now they're being expelled out of these countries for various reasons. Okay, uh, so we're, talking, we're coming up here on a break. 
Uh, we'll talk about this on the other side of the break. We'll go to this other clip here from Roland Martin Unfiltered uh, while I was on the panel. And we'll also talk about Melvin Van Peebles, the godfather of black cinema, passed away this week at age 89. And th this other story here that, that deals with this is tied to all of this. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I look at different media. I don't just look at like media I agree with. I look at things that I don't agree with as well. Um, there was one here from, from town hall. We posted this on our Facebook fan page, the African history network, because the, the head of the border patrol, the border patrol union, the head of the border patrol union is blasting the white house for the white house's decision to suspend the, uh, the horse, uh, patrol. Okay. Uh, at the, at the Del Rio, Texas border. We're going to talk about this on the other side of the break as well. Uh, this piece right here from townhall.com and there are other outlets that picked up on this. Border Patrol Union blasts White House's decision to suspend horse unit following what they call is fake news about whips. And then they they deal with it. You go through and read this article. I'm like, now part of it, they talk about the role that horse patrols play and they can go into areas where um, cars can't go and how they go on search and rescue, things like this. But then you look and say, well, why is he attacking the White House? Why is he attacking the Biden administration? Things like this, Border Patrol. And this is the same narrative that's being picked up in right wing media as well. We'll do it this on the other side of the break. This is the African History Network show right here on 19 a.m. Superstation and Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Right, nine ten a.m. Superstation, a division of Adele Media. I'm Brother Michael M. Hotel, and after History Network show, we deal with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. It was laws and policies that put us in this predicament. It's going to be laws and policies that take us out. So you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts. You control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. The views and opinions expressed on any program are those of the producers and or the persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 910 AM Superstation or Adele Media. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Sunday, September 26, 2021, and we are live. Call the numbers 313-778-7600, 313-778-7600. Is the calling number if you have a question or comment. Uh, if you'd like this type of information, you support the African History Network, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Um, we're here six days a week. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills, etc. Official cash app account is dollar sign the AHN show, S H O W. So when you go to it, it'll say, it'll say Michael and show my picture there. These other ones here that we have up on the screen are fake African History Network, uh, cash app accounts. All right. That's not me. Okay. And then also be sure to register for the, uh, 10 week online course that I teach on, uh, Saturdays. Uh, 
uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. From the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. Do this class on uh, Saturdays, uh, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we take you through history. I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips. There's a ton of information. And we go through history to see what happened to us after um, Civil War ends, after child slavery ends. We look at history leading up to uh, the Civil War. And we actually go through a chronology of history. We look at laws and policies put in place also. But we uh, specifically look at the end of the Civil War. 1865, uh, we look at the 13th Amendment, uh, Juneteenth, June 19th, 1865, General Order Number 3, uh, Emancipation Proclamation, January 1st, 1863, we look at uh, Special Field Order Number 15, 40 Acres and the Mule, January 1865, and then we go through the Reconstruction Era, 1865 to 1877, we look at advancements African Americans are make are making, and then we look at a reversal of this advancement during the Jim Crow era. Uh, we look at uh, Plessy versus Ferguson, U.S. Supreme Court case 1896, um, Williams versus Mississippi 1898, which challenged the um, voter suppression uh, laws that were put in place in Mississippi in 1890. Uh, we look at things like the Louisiana State Constitution 1898, and they legalized the grandfather clause and poll taxes and literacy tests. Um, property ownership requirements to be able to vote, et cetera. Alabama State Constitution in 1901. And we go through and look at history to look at the uh, organizations that were forming the Afro-American Council in 1898, founded by Bishop Alexander Walters and Thomas T. Fortune, the National Afro-American League founded in the early 1890s. Uh, we go through history and then we go through the World War One, World War II, Civil Rights Movement, Black Power Movement to see how we got to where we are today and laws and policies put in place to put us in the predicament we're in today to understand where we need to go from here. We do the class live. All the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch them anytime. You don't have to worry about being in class at a certain time. And uh, it's not like a Zoom meeting that I was just on a Zoom meeting before coming on air here. When I got home, I had to jump on a Zoom meeting for the media class that I'm in. That Dr. Avis Jones, the Weaver, uh, teaches, and she's a panelist on Roland Martin Unfiltered, usually on Monday. I'm usually on Friday. You'll see her also on the Black News Channel. Uh, so you can see me. I can't see you. So you don't have to worry about doing your hair. Or, you know, you have to put on clothes. You can be in your pajamas, whatever it is. Okay. Um, you can visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com to register uh, for the class. We usually do it on Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. As soon as you register, you can watch the class we just did um, this weekend. And also there's bonus lectures that you get from me and bonus content. Class is regularly $130, it's on sale $70. So visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Click right on register here, it takes you to the next page and uh, just click on enroll and you can start watching the content. You can watch from around the world. Okay, call the number is 313-778-7600. So call the number if you have a question or comment. Uh, I want to uh, quickly hear, uh, so right before the break, I was uh, showing this article here. We're going to go to uh, uh, back to this other segment from Roland Martin Unfiltered. But read this article from um, townhall.com. 
Border Patrol Union blasts White House's decision to suspend horse unit following what they call fake news about whips, fake news about whips, because they were long range that they had. And then uh, I I've have we'll probably talk about this tomorrow because I have some statements from the photographer that took the picture and he's given a different narrative than um, what we've been told. But once again, this is why you have to have a thorough investigation from beginning to end and interview everybody involved, Border Patrol, photographers, migrants, every from beginning to end, you have to have a thorough investigation to be able to separate fact from fiction. Uh, okay, so I want to go to this. Uh, let's go to clip three here from uh, Roland Martin, the filtered uh, jail. For a press conference that Biden was pressured to hold. It, it is not fair. It is not right. Um, and for them to call this a partnership is is just a poor definition of words. It is more like an exploitation if nothing else is done for this country. Uh, Michael, you Yeah, you know, Roland, I've been reporting on this basically every night on my show. And this is really this this whole thing and the whole backstory is really deep on this because about 97 percent of the uh, Haitians who came over across from Mexico uh, over to Del Rio, Texas, um, about 97 percent of them have been um, living in Central American countries. They were living in Brazil. They were living in Mexico, and uh, the majority of them left Haiti uh, after the 2010 earthquake. And what happened was in Brazil, um, in, in, in these different countries, their labor was exploited, okay? And um, in Brazil, Haitian migrants were granted work visas for the 2014 World Cup and the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. They were also able to obtain permanent residency for humanitarian reasons. But what happened was after all that was over, they were being expelled out of Brazil. They're being expelled out of Mexico, okay, after their labor was exploited. And they're coming over here, okay? And, and now part of it had to do with um, rumors getting out about uh, TPS, temporary uh, uh, protection status, uh, different things like this. Now, today, uh, uh, Secretary Alejandro uh, Mayorkas, in his press conference today, and even going back to Wednesday, they talked about Haitians being released um, and given uh, 60 days to return uh, to, for the uh, political asylum, right. okay, for the hearing right. on political asylum. Uh, 12,400 uh, of the migrants are allowed to re have been allowed to request political asylum and stay here. 8,000 have been returned back to Mexico, okay? Uh, 5,000 uh, are being processed to determine whether they will be expelled or placed in immigration re uh, removal proceedings. 2,000 migrants have been expelled to Haiti. So what I'm still trying to figure out is, okay, how do you exactly determine who can stay and apply for political asylum and who gets expelled back to Haiti? Because I'm still well, well, trying to figure out. First of all, remember the even Title 42, which allows for you to expel, allows for you to expel single folks. Uh, but uh, the, the ruling about Judge Emmett Sullivan applies only to families. Um, they are doing that ruling. I want. Okay, so yeah, the the ruling by federal judge Emmett Sullivan, African American judge, familiar with that. There still is a whole lot of questions I have on this. I still have a whole lot of questions. Now, if we look at if we look at this article here, we talked about this earlier in the week, and I mentioned this on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Go read this one. This gives background information 
um, what has happened over the past few years. Um, this is from USA Today. Del Rio migrant crisis. How did so many Haitians end up at the southern U.S. border? Okay. If we go to, um, let's see. If we go to page two. It talks about uh, 2020 earthquake spurs migration, 2010 earthquake spurs migration. See, the, see the, the narrative that a lot of people are saying is they left because of the assassination of Jovenel Moise and the earthquake that just happened. No, most of them left because of the 2010 earthquake. And they've been living in Mexico, Brazil, Chile. This is deeper. The, now, the other thing is. And we also talked about this early in the week as well. And I know we're on two hours later, Monday through Friday, so some people can't catch the show. You've got 20,000 in Colombia that are on the move. You've got 1,500 in, uh, I think it's Peru. And you've got about 3,000 in Panama. Okay. There was a, um, a really good piece from September 20th, which was Monday. From uh, NBC News, Julia Ainsley, NBC News, that talks about 20,000 Haitian migrants are in Colombia. More than 20,000 Haitians are gathered in Colombia for possible migration to U.S. The Department of Homeland Security is also tracking about 1,500 in Panama and 3,000 in Peru, uh, a, an internal document said. Now, they could possibly come here to the U.S. Don't know for certain, at least at the time of this reporting, they could possibly come here okay but they're on a move and uh, uh, things like climate change are contributing to this problems with vegetation and growing crops as a result of climate change they're, they're, they're contributing factors to uh them being on the move all right uh, uh let's see here in addition to the twenty thousand haitians gathered in northern colombia the Department of Homeland Security is also monitoring groups of about 1,500 in Panama and 3,000 in Peru. A senior Department of Homeland Security official said it remains to be seen when and whether those migrants will come to the U.S., but they have, been gun, but they have begun staging in the various countries, potentially signaling they are planning to travel in large numbers. Potentially signaling they are planning to travel in large numbers. Okay, so you can read that when you hear more information, hopefully about that from proper news sources as we get updates we'll share that with you here on the african history network show because that's what we do um but this one here once again i was up late at night reading uh this is from usa today 2010 earthquake spurs migration a devastating earthquake in 2010 displaced more than 1.5 million people from the island nation of Haiti. Afterwards, many Haitians left their homeland for South America and Central America. After the 2010 earthquake, not the earthquake in 2021, the 2010 earthquake. Quote unquote, Brazil was facing a labor shortage because they were building stadiums for the World Cup and the Olympics. Okay, Brazil was facing lab a labor shortage because they were building stadiums for the World Cup and the Olympics, said Mark Schuler, a professor at Northern Illinois University and president of the Haitian Studies Association. There's a whole backstory to this that's really not being talk talked about a lot 
in some of the mainstream media that I've seen, like MSNBC. Haitian migration was a quote unquote, Haitian migration was a solution to their labor problem, he said. Haitian migration was a solution to the labor problem. In Brazil, Haitian migrants were granted work visas for the 2014 World Cup and the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. The 2014 World Cup and the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. Let me know if you've heard about this before. They were also able to obtain permanent residency for humanitarian reasons in Brazil. By August 2020, there were more than 143,000 Haitians in Brazil, according to El Pais, P-A-I-S, apostrophe over the S, or accent over the S, which is a daily newspaper in Spain. Now, other South American countries also welcomed Haitian migrants, including Venezuela and Chile. So you have to ask the question, well, how did the love affair go awry? What happened? In Chile, the Haitian population jumped. In 2017, the Haitian population in Chile was 64,567, with an estimated 150,000 in Chile just a year later. So in, in one year in Chile from 2017 to 2018, the population of Haitians more than doubled. It went from 64,567 in 2017 with an estimated 150,000 that were in Chile in 2018, according to the International American Dialogue, which is a Washington-based think tank. But, but, is what happened. But after the Olympics and the need for cheap labor expired, Haitian migrants were pushed out of Brazil, said Gabriel Apollon, a-P-O-L-L-O-N, who's the co-director of, of the Haiti Mining Justice and International Accountability Project. Because the whole thing, I've been doing radio 11 years. I've done national syndicated radio, I've done local radio. I know when I hear stories like this, I know to study the history of the problem and study the backstory. Okay, what happened? I know, I know the five questions are asked. Who, what, when, why, where, and how much? Okay, six questions. Who, what, when, why, where, and how much? I've been doing radio enough, long enough to know to ask these questions. After the Olympics, so so what happened was I started searching for this backstory because you I, I watched MSNBC all day and I don't hear this a whole lot. But I know they ain't just start all of a sudden saying we need to go like on a new fitness program. So we just go and cross. We want to just try to go uh, into the U.S. No, this what's causing this. And I know climate change is contributing to changing conditions in Central American countries, which is in. And, and that was talked about, I think it's about 2018 in the report that Homeland Security uh, produced and it gave it to Donald Trump and his dumbass didn't read it. Because under the under the Obama administration, they sent funds to Central American countries to help prop up those governments to reduce the amount of migrants that were coming here to the U.S. because of conditions in, in their home country. 
Well, the Trump administration operating based upon America first took away a lot of that funding, which exacerbated conditions there. And one of the problems was problems with growing vegetation because of climate change. And this caused more of the migrants to come here. That's on the dumbass Donald Trump. So after the Olympics and the need for quote unquote cheap labor to expired, Haitian migrants were pushed out of Brazil, said Gabriel Apollon. Now the exodus of Haitian people fleeing the country, okay, of Brazil, okay, not Haiti, but of Brazil. The exodus of Haitian people fleeing the country of Brazil can also be attributed to a staggering increase, well, well um, in Haiti over the past 10 years. The exodus of Haitian people fleeing the country can also be attributed to a staggering increase in human rights violations in Haiti within the past 10 years, Apollon said also. But they were, but a lot of them left Haiti, went to Brazil, and now they're being pushed out of Brazil, also being pushed out of Chile and uh, other countries also. In August, the Department of State issued a level four travel advisory for Haiti, urging Americans not to visit Haiti because of, quote, kidnapping, because of kidnapping, crime, civil unrest, and COVID-19, end quote. Haiti's escalating violence and political instability prompted the United Nations Security Council earlier this year to publicly express its deep concern for the protracted political security, constitutional and humanitarian humanitarian crisis, uh, crises tormenting Haiti. That, and we know uh, President Jovenel Moise was assassinated uh, July 7th. We'll continue this on the other side of the break and we'll talk about um, Godfather Black Cinema. Melvin Van Peebles, and we'll talk a little bit about the Muhammad Ali documentary, uh, the second installment of Muhammad Ali on PBS. You listen to the African History Network show right here on 9 a.m. Superstation Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. African History Network show we deal with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. The laws and policies that put us in this predicament is going to be laws and policies that take us out. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do what teach what it doesn't know. We have it on a 9 a.m. Superstation. 910, the Superstation, Detroit's only African American talk radio. Welcome back to the African History Network show, right here on 910 on the Superstation Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Sunday, September 26, 2021, and we are live. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, you can give us a call in. You can uh, the call in number is 313-778-7600. If you have a question or comment, 313-778-7600. If you have a question or comment. All right. And also, if you at the screen in the day of the film Hot P at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, you can give us a call um, as well. Uh, let us know how you uh, liked it, uh, what you learned from the documentary. Uh, let us know also. Okay, so right before the break, uh, we were given an update on the uh, migrant camp there at the Del Rio, Texas border. And Del Rio, Texas at the border being cleared out. We were given some background uh, 
history on the exploitation of the labor of Haitian migrants. Uh, once again, check out this piece here from uh, USA Today. It's a really good article from USA Today to help fill in um, a lot of the blanks and answer some of the questions I had. The Rio migrant crisis, how did so many Haitians end up at the southern U.S. border? This is uh, updated September 24, 2021 from USA Today. Okay, uh, let's see here. Now, I want to look here at uh, where are we in the clip. Okay, uh, I want to go to this last clip here from Roland Martin Unfiltered. We were talking about Haiti. Let's go to clip number, should be clip number uh, four, Jalen. Uh, let's go to this clip, please. Thing. Not the right thing, the decent thing. And the decent thing is to make room for these people. We do it for everybody else. Michael. Uh, well, you know, Roland, there's another 20,000 uh, Haitians in Colombia. And it's possible that they can come this way as well. Okay. Um, NBC News had an article from a couple of days ago. I talked about this as well. 20,000 in Colombia. Now, Governor Greg Abbott in Texas, and uh, uh, there's a, a big piece from the New York Times from, from, uh, the 20, from uh, yesterday. Um, there was a line of 800 uh, vehicles that Governor, Governor Greg Abbott had uh, lined up along the border to mm -hmm. keep the Haitians from coming in. The uh, a, a line, Texas Department of Public Safety vehicles, okay? Uh, it's a big piece uh, about this as well. So. And one of the things I'm trying to figure out, uh, Roland, maybe you can help me out with this. Okay, so can you like, is that legal to put the vehicles there and block it? Yeah, I mean, from the people from coming over, uh, I have a lot of questions about this. The, the more research I do on this, man, the more questions I have about this. Kelly? Okay, pa um, pause it right again, there, Jalen. Anything short? Pause it right there. All right, thanks. Read this piece here from uh, Washington Post. This is from, this is something I was talking about, September 22nd. Now, in, in, the, in the big article from New York Times, it talks about thousands of, of Haitians. Um, let me see, thousands of Haitians allowed to stay in the U.S. as Texas camp clears out from Thursday, September 23rd. They talk about this a little bit in here, this line of cars. This one here from Washington Post specifically deals with this on September 22nd, okay? Um Wednesday, September 22nd, Texas Governor Abbott sends miles, M-I-L-E-S, miles of cars along border to deter migrants. And from my understanding, is 800. It was 800 vehicles there. Okay, so um, I still, I'm trying to figure out. I have a lot of questions. I'm like, okay, yeah, I have a ton of questions. All right. Some of them got answered from Secretary Mayorkas on Friday, but I still have some other ones. Okay. Uh, let's switch gears here. We'll talk about this some more tomorrow. Um, the godfather of black cinema, Melvin Van Peebles, uh, passed away uh, this week. He was 89 years old. Okay. He burst onto the scene and 1971 was Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, okay? We talked about it here uh, during the week. 
And I, I remember, I can't remember when I first saw the movie. It wasn't 71 because I was born in 71. So it wasn't 71. But I, I remember watching it on TV, but it was edited. Of course, it was edited. Um, it was on regular television. It was edited. And I was sitting and I was trying to figure out the movie because I didn't understand a lot of it. Now, he he killed two white police officers at the end. So, um, you know, this is that movie came out three years after. Dr. King was assassinated. Um, it came out six years after Malcolm X was assassinated. And it spoke to a lot of the feelings, a lot of uh, anger that, uh, you know, many African-Americans had at that time. And, and this is something it came, it came out the same year that Shaft came out starring Richard Roundtree. But this movie is credited with kicking off the uh, genre of what becomes known as black exploitation movies. And even though, some of them were stereotypical. All of them were not bad. Okay. Even though some of them were stereotypical, all of the, even though some of the movies in what are known as the black exploitation era, era, um, even though some of them were uh, exploitative and maybe depicted us as prostitutes and pimps and drug dealers, things like this, but it also showed even like Superfly, it showed, you know, Ron O'Neill, who portrayed Superfly, he wanted to get out of the business. He wanted to get out of selling drugs. That it wasn't something he wanted to do for the rest of his life. Um, there's a big article from the New York Times. Melvin Van Peebles, champion of new black cinema, dies at 89. And he's also known as the godfather of black cinema. A fertile creative force. He wrote fiction and musicals, but is best known for a breakthrough movie that heralded the genre known as black exploitation that heralded the genre known as black exploitation his son uh mario did a post uh social media uh put a video on social media it's about three minutes long talking about the passing of his of his father but talking about um not so much his father dying, but how his father lived. Okay. And in the, in the social media post, uh, it's on YouTube and Instagram also. Um, he said that, um, something to the effect that, um, it's not about how you die. It's about how you lived. Okay. Something like that. Let's go to this clip, Jalen. A lot of you have been hitting me up asking me how Melvin Van Peebles died. Well, as the so-called godfather of modern black cinema, he's not just my dad, he's your dad too. So if it's okay with you, I'll share a little bit with you. My brother and my sister and I realized that dad was getting old. We got on a plane, we flew to New York, got our butts here, and I felt very strongly that dad would not want to pass to the hospital and I was lucky enough to get him home and when he came through the door um, he had such a look of relief and joy on his face that I just let that wash over me and I wanted to stay in the same room with him and he has a bed, a little bed and, and there's a cot in there and I slept on the cot beside him and around uh, 2.30 a.m. 
for some reason I woke up, I felt something, and I went over to Dad, and I didn't turn the light on, I put my hand on his chest, and I said, Daddy, I love you. And uh, he had stopped breathing. And as I looked closer, the look on his face did not look like a man who was afraid of death. It looked like a man who had gone his way in his time. And, um, I mean, what a class way out. I thought, may I be so lucky to go out with my family close by, at home, peacefully. Um, sometimes we think of death as a tragedy. People are calling me up and saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, and we think of birth as a miracle, but maybe birth and death are the, just different sides of the same mortality coin. None of us are going to live for good ever, ever, and none of us gets out of here alive, so how are we going to go out? Well, he demystified it a little bit for me. Um, growing up with him, I saw a life well lived, fully lived. And I think the real tragedy might be not doing what you came here to do in this lifetime. And no man, people saying, your daddy, he, he, he came... He came and he did his thing. And um, he would say to all of you, keep on keeping on. Keep teaching each other. Um, try to teach and mentor someone who doesn't always look like you, vote like you, think like you. Make a difference. Make sure you tell our story so it's not just his story, it is our story. Daddy said to me, some fathers will teach you how to play ball. I'm going to try to teach you how to own the team. So many good lessons, and uh, I know he wanted to tell me that uh, he loves you all, and um, and if you want to do him any service, get out there and keep making a difference. Your daddy loves you. Okay, so that was the son Mario Van Peebles uh, talking about his father and how his father lived. And that's on uh, YouTube uh, also, YouTube and Instagram. Search for Mario Van Peebles on YouTube and Instagram. That was from September 22nd, uh, 2021, talking about how his father lived. Uh, in this piece, and we'll go, we'll go to the phone lines. We'll go to Willie on line one. So just hold the line, Willie. Um, in this piece here from uh, New York Times, uh, it, it, so he passed away on, we got the news on uh, September 22nd, but he actually passed away the day before. September 22nd was Wednesday. He passed away on Tuesday. He died on Tuesday at his home in Manhattan. He was 89. Uh, his death was announced by his son, Mario Van Peebles, the actor and director. Melvin, Melvin Van Peebles, the father, was a Renaissance man whose work, has spanned books, theater, and music. Melvin Van Peebles is best known for his third feature film, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, which drew mixed reviews when it was released in 1971. It ignited intense debate and became a national hit. The hero of the movie Sweetback starred in a sex show at a brothel, and the movie sizzled with explosive violence, explicit sex, and righteous antagonism toward the white power structure righteous antagonism toward the white power structure and that was a sentiment coming out of the you're still in the black power era you, you're dealing with richard nixon 
in office who becomes president uh wins the 1968 presidential election and nixon wins the election on a backlash to the civil rights movement the black power movement the rebellions that are taking place in the country uh in 1967 detroit rebellion you have new work and you have all these rebellions you had 125 um uh rebellions that took place in cities across the country uh after dr king's assassinated april 4th 1968 so richard nixon is a backlash to all of this now the movie was dedicated to uh, a sweetback was dedicated to quote all the brothers and sisters who have had enough of the man end quote and i, I remember watching the uncut version uh because i got it i think it was on, on dvd or vhs one of them because i still have uh i still have um vhs players as well okay so i can't remember whether it's on dvd i got sweet back or not but i remember watching the uncut and it, and it talked about how this is dedicated to all the black brothers and sisters who have had enough of the man. Now, Melvin Van Peebles' fiercely independent legacy can be seen in some of the most notable black films of the half past century. From Spike Lee, She's Gotta Have It, 1986, Barry Jenkins' Moonlight, 2016. His death arrives at a moment when African-American storytelling has belatedly become ascended in Hollywood, belatedly become ascended in Hollywood. Melvin Van Peebles told the New York Times in 2010 in an interview, he said, I didn't even know I had a legacy. I do what I want to do. I didn't even know I had a legacy. I do what I want to do. One of the interesting things about the making of the movie Sweetback and researching this and, and, and reading also um, the uh, 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 black, uh, black and white in American television which I think is called Black and White in American Television. Um, hold on. Black Black in American Films in Television. Let me get the right title here. This is the encyclopedia. Uh, this is by Donald Bogle. Now, Donald Bogle is also known as the godfather of black cinema. But Donald Bogle is a historian of African-American cinema. He's not a actor or director as far as i know but this one right here i don't even think it's still in print i don't even take it out the house blacks in american films and television an illustrated encyclopedia by donald bogle donald bogle is the man and with this one right here it um every tv show or movie that had a significant african-american character prior to about 1988 when the book came out because the cosby shows in here it has a write-up on it, tells you who directed it, who starred in it, gives you a synopsis, etc. And, you know, Melvin Van Peebles has talked about it here, sweet, sweet back, things like this. So, you know, this is a, a significant figure in African-American cinema. But we know that what you read, see, and hear affects the way you think, feel, act, and behave. So also African-American thought as well. Uh, I remember the movie Posse. And when the movie Posse came out, which dealt with uh, now in, in my in my class that I teach on Saturday from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. One of the things we just talked about was 1898. And we talked about the Spanish-American War. 
1898. And um, it dealt with Cuba fighting against Spain to gain their independence from Spain. And we know that Cuba was an island conquered by Christopher Columbus in 1492 on behalf of the Spanish crown, just like Haiti was conquered in uh, 1492, which is on the island of Hispaniola. Uh, Haiti and, um, uh, you know, St. Dominique on the island of Hispaniola. Uh, and we're, we're still dealing with the consequences of Christopher Columbus and his four voyages uh, starting August 3rd, 1492, uh, on behalf of the Spanish crown, because in the past few months, we've seen Haiti, Jamaica, which uh, Columbus conquered in 1494, Haiti, Jamaica, and Cuba all in the news. And these were all three countries that the Spanish conquered on Columbus's voyages, uh, 1492 and 1494, those two voyages in, in that period of time. But the movie Posse, which uh, highlighted some of the history of African-American cowboys. And that's a deep history. Uh, the, the movie Posse takes place in 1898 during the Spanish-American War. And, you know, uh, 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 Mario Van Peebles' character and uh, and some of the other ones, they're deserters from, from the army, okay, during the Spanish-American War. Uh, so in... They have some, there's a historical background to the movie. And one of the things they talk about in the movie is the grandfather clause of 1898. And the grandfather clause was a way to uh, exclude African-American men from voting. So if you're, uh, and, and we see this in Louisiana, and uh, that's written into the Louisiana State Constitution in 1898. If prior to 1867, your grandfather could not vote, because he was a slave, then that means you cannot vote. Okay. And this was a obstacle. These were one of the impediments or obstacles that white supremacists trying to take back control, full control of these state legislatures after reconstruction ends in 1877. These are one of the obstacles they're putting in the place of the 15th amendment to the U S constitution. So the movie Posse came out in uh, 1993. And I, I remember talking about the grandfather clause and, and they're talking about African-American cowboys and uh, they have, um, uh, the, the, there's some historical captions that they talk about, give some background information. And th they say that about one third of the cowboys during the old West were African-American men, which is something largely left out of history. And this is something that this movie Posse illuminated. And I'm, I'm looking here. I'm on IMDB.com, uh, International Movie Database. And the, the movie is a Western. And we're going to pull this up here on, on the screen. Um, if you get a chance, watch the movie Posse. Because there's a lot of, even though it's a fictitious movie, there's a historical background to it. And there's a deep history uh, dealing with the Spanish-American War. Of 1890, uh, 1898. But in 1898, Cuba, in 1898, Cuba, five Buffalo soldiers find a gold uh, cachet, uh, a desert, a gold cachet, desert, a desert and return to America where they help defend a black town from the KKK, all the while trying to avoid capture by lawmen and military authorities alike. So it, it also deals with the black townships and how we were forming African-American townships. 
as well. And the, uh, the state that had the largest number of African-American townships would probably be Oklahoma. They had about 50. Okay. And these are all things that we were doing after the civil war ends. Okay. We're working to acquire land. Some of us are getting land from the black freedmen Indian treaties of 1866 and the Dawes allotment act of 1887, like Sarah Rector in Oklahoma and her family became the richest Afro-American girl in the country. She became a, she was a millionaire at about 12 years old or so. Sarah Rector. We talked about her here on the show before. So this movie Posse was directed by Mario Van Peebles, but his father is in the movie as well. Papa Joe. And uh, Sally Richardson uh, plays Papa Joe's daughter. Uh, it's a deep, deep movie. Okay. And there's one scene in there where the town decides to fight against the white supremacists trying to take over the town. There's one brother who owns a, a bar or saloon. He talks about how he, he bought himself out of freedom twice. He's not going back. It's a deep, I look at movies like differently than maybe some people. It's a deep movie. Check out the movie Posse. I, I like watching it. Um, maybe it's because I like to see movies where African-Americans take up guns and fight back. I don't know. So, because <laughs> there's a deep history behind that. There's a deep history behind armed resistance, African-Americans engaging in armed resistance against oppressors. There's a deep history behind that. Okay. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Let's go to Willie, line one. Willie, hey, thanks for holding. Welcome to the African History Network show. Willie, tell us where you're calling from. Hey, uh, Mr. Amotep. Uh, good Sunday evening. And, um, calling you from, from the Big B, Detroit, and I'm enjoying you as I'm learning from you as usual. Oh, thanks. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted to, you know, you were speaking on the situation with the Haitians at the border and how yes. they arrived there, and, mm -hmm. you know, two things came to my memory, and I thought I would call and just share them with you. Okay. With the audience. Um, I, uh, I remember watching a uh, documentary uh, mm -hmm. earlier this year, I do believe, where, you know, it was about um, during World War II and the fight against the Nazis. That's how the U.S. government used coders, and many of them were female, some were, and many were male, coders to decipher, you know, messages in code from the Nazis. Now, were, they, were these Native American the coders? Were these Native Americans or were these African -Americans? Some were Native. I, right. As a matter of fact, I think some were Native American. Mm -hmm. But the thing I wanted to point out, point out from the documentary was that the Nazis were here in the Western world. They had many bases, especially in South America. Okay, yeah. And, um, and in many times, you know, and then and then there were those who were in Germany, you know, when the, uh, as, in, as our troops, American troops, took, you know, advanced in Germany, many of them escaped mm -hmm. and went to South America before they could go to Nuremberg. And this is the other thing that came to memory. I had a co-worker years back. She had been uh, a flight attendant. 
Okay. Yeah, uh, and she was and she was telling some of us on the job. This was lunchtime one day that um, you know uh, while in Argentina, you know she noticed that uh, she didn't see anyone of African descent there. And in Argentina, a, uh, Argentina, right? Yeah. And she shared with us how while on a tour, mm-hmm. you know. You know, some of the Argentine men came up to her and they spoke in, you know, I guess the Spanish language. Right. And she didn't understand what was going on. And she said later, the uh, the person on the tour guide explained to her that, you know, that those men, you know, thought that the sister was, you know, was advertising or that she was a prostitute. Mm-hmm. And the tour guide went on to explain to her that, some years prior to that, the Argentine government uh, expelled people of African descent from the nation. Right. I, it, I I do believe that there was a situation where the where the uh, you know blacks who were in Argentina, who those who did not, who would not go, or who did not make it out in time, they were exterminated. They were exactly. eliminated. That's what I was going to say. So. They, they they killed a lot of them. Okay. They killed a lot of them. Right. There, there, there was an extermination so I, process. Go ahead. Go ahead. Right. And I thought about that as you were talking about how Haitians, you know, which I didn't know, many of them had left Haiti like, you know, like 2010 when they had a major earthquake mm-hmm. there. You know, they left there and went to countries in South America. And, I, you know, and I just thought about you know, um, that, uh, you know, the anti-black sentiment right. in many of the South American nations may not have only come from our government in this country, in the, you know, in the U.S., but also from the influence of those Nazi war criminals. Because it was said, I came out, and it, it was said that many... Uh, Nazi war criminals who fled to South America, you know, they didn't remain, all of them didn't remain private citizens. Some of them uh, secured positions in government. Right. Well, the other so, thing is, know, uh, other, from there. Uh, other thing is, is that when we talk about the, the Holocaust, and we should, but we also have to talk about mm-hmm. the Afro-Germans that were being killed and uh, experimented on and sterilized because um, Hitler didn't just target Jews, he targeted targeted the Afro Germans also. Okay, and that, and that's a narrative that gets left out when they when they have Holocaust Remembrance Day and things like this. They don't talk about the Africans who were killed during the Holocaust and killed by the Germans. Okay, uh, everybody, check out this article here, and then, and then we got to run because we're almost out of time. You can call back uh, tomorrow, Monday through Friday, around eleven p.m. to midnight. We're here six days a week. Uh, Sundays were on two hours uh, earlier, and we have two uh, two hours for the show on Sunday. Uh, every, uh, being that you mentioned Argentina, read this article here from FaceToFaceAfrica.com, and there's others that I've read on this history how black people were eliminated in Argentina throughout history. How black people were eliminated mm-hmm. in Argentina throughout history. This is from FaceToFaceAfrica.com, and this is from uh, 2018, which gives a lot of this background information. But yeah, they, 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 a lot of them were exterminated also. Um, and, and you had some countries that had a uh, AtlantaBlackStar.com had an article from a few years ago that dealt with five countries 
that um, uh, had a policy to whiten the population. Um, uh, and, and Cuba was one of those uh, uh, countries that had a policy to to whiten the population as well. Okay, uh, Willie, give us a, a call back to Mark. We're almost out of time here. Um, Jalen, I, I just sent you a clip here dealing with Muhammad Ali and Dr. King. Uh, we're going to talk some about Muhammad Ali, uh, the Muhammad Ali documentary on tomorrow's show. But uh, PBS has aired this uh, four-part series called Muhammad Ali. Now, if you missed any of it, uh, it's at uh, pbs.com. Uh, okay, pbs.com. You can check it out. And they have all four uh, parts there. You can screen them. It's a fantastic. It's probably one of the best, doc, probably the best documentary I've seen on Ali. Uh, I'm a big Muhammad Ali fan. The six-part series, well, the, the, the six-hour Muhammad Ali documentary called The Ultimate Ali. I have that on DVD. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's on three DVDs. That came out some maybe 10 years ago or something like that. But um, if you go to uh, pbs.org, uh, they have it there. Episode two. I just finished watching episode two. They've aired all four episodes. I just finished watching episode two and it deals with uh, it's called round two. What's my name? Round two. What's my name? And the um, synopsis of episode two is uh, Cassius Clay publicly joins the nation of Islam and takes the name Muhammad Ali when he refuses induction into the army. That was in 1967. He refused induction into the army uh, late April 1967. He is stripped of his boxing title and forced into exile. He's also he's also stripped of his boxing license. He can't get a boxing license in any state. Uh, after three years, he returns to the ring, but he's lost a step. Uh, now, in this sec in this uh, second installment, they talk about. Uh, him refusing to go into the army and they talk about the press conference that was held March 30th, 1967 that he held with what, what he talked to the press uh, with Dr. King. It was a meeting he held with Dr. King. And when it came out of the meeting, they talked to the press and here's a little bit of what they said. What did you discuss back in the hotel room? Nothing. Just friends, just like crew chef and, and uh, Kennedy and everybody. When the people, all of the politicians of all other white races come together, and they, although they believe different, they think different, whites can come together and discuss the common cause. But whenever a few of us come together, the world is shook up. And I say, whatever went back there is obvious. Reverend King, do you agree? Oh, yes, yes. We had a very good discussion. Uh, on uh, many matters, and of course these are not things that we would discuss here, but uh, we do have common problems and common concerns. And above all, as uh, Muhammad Ali has just said, uh, we are all victims of the same system of oppression. And even though we may have different religious uh, beliefs, uh, this does not at all and bring about a difference in Still terms brothers. of our concern. Still brothers. Do you share the same, one more question, do you share the same concern uh, that uh, Muhammad has for his draft status? Well, I certainly do. Uh, my, my views on the draft are clear. I'm against it. And I think the sooner our country does away with the draft, the better it will be for everybody. I'm very disturbed about the militaristic posture of our nation. And I think until we have a radical reordering of priorities in our country, uh, we're going more and more to the depths and, I should say, 
to the doom that follows arrogance of power, Senator Fulbright said. Okay, that was from uh, March 30th, 1967. That's uh, from the Associated Press. That's on YouTube. Uh, we'll talk some more about the Muhammad Ali documentary on uh, a show tomorrow. Uh, watch it at pbs.org. You can call in tomorrow, share your thoughts about it. Also read this article that we talked about before here on this show, Martin Luther King Jr. and Muhammad Ali's surprising secret friendship. Martin Luther King Jr. and Muhammad Ali's surprising secret friendship. This is from biography.com. Uh, if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. And then be sure to uh, register for the 10-week online course that I teach on Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. We do the class live. All the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch it as many times as you want to. Even after the course is over with, you can still watch it. Next class is going to be Saturday, October 2nd. Remember, right now, it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And uh, those watching on Facebook and YouTube, keep watching for a few more minutes. We'll keep going. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. All right. Okay. Stand by, everybody. Stand by. Okay. Here, here's the link to register for the uh, online course uh, that I teach. We also have uh, a new installment of Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. That's going to start up uh, Sunday. Um, that's going to start up Sunday, uh, October uh, 3rd. It's going to be Sunday, October 3rd. That one's going to be 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we deal with thousands of years of history and what led up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place, okay, in uh, that class. So when you go to our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, you scroll down and you'll see information for uh, this one here, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. You can register for that one as well. Uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power picks up in history, largely picks up in history, where ancient Kemet, the Moors, it, where understanding the transatlantic slave trade leaves off. Okay, there was so much information in the understanding the transatlantic slave trade class that I wanted to deal with and needed to deal with. Um, I had to create this second class so we can really zoom in on a little more than 100-year period of history and really break this down into 10 classes to really understand this history that takes place and happens after uh after the civil war ends okay all right so we posted that link here and uh uh also we have a, a sale going on at africanhistorynetwork.com you can get uh 20 off of orders that are a hundred dollars or more get 20 percent off of uh, orders that were $100 or more. We're going to extend that sale for a couple of days also. Use promo code AHN20OFF2021, AHN20OFF2021. Uh, Be sure to follow us on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. Turn on live notifications so you know when we go live. And... Um, uh, let your uh, friends know about us also. We're going to keep digging into this information, dealing with um, Haitian migrants, um, understanding immigration policy. And like I said before, the top of the show, you have to have a full, thorough investigation from beginning to end, understanding what happened to separate fact 
from fiction, fact from fantasy. It is what it is. Let the, let the chips fall where they may, but you have to have a, 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 a full investigation and there has to be, and there has to be immigration reform as well. And this is something secretary Mayorkas said a number of times in his press conference on Friday, you have to have immigration reform. And I've been talking about that here on this show. When you had migrants at the Southern border, many of them Latino migrants, I say you needed uh, immigration reform then. And I said, they need to be treated with uh, their, their humanity need to be recognized. I talked about political asylum, things like that. Had black people calling into my show saying they don't have nothing to do with us. That's a Latino issue. Now, all of a sudden, now they want to talk about Haitians. And because if you remember, it was under the Trump administration where Trump went to court to really change the laws and say that they had to wait in Mexico to be able to apply for political asylum. They couldn't come here. The Trump administration changed a lot of that. And I was saying that you got to have immigration reform. This is this deals with people of African descent, things like this. And people like people were saying, no, they don't have nothing to do with us. Now, all of a sudden. Now, they're, now, all of a sudden, they're concerned about immigration. And, and letting the Haitians come in. And immigration laws and things like this. So you have to have immigration reform, definitely. And it has to be. The immigration laws have to be fair to those coming, those people of African descent coming from Caribbean countries, coming from Haiti, coming from Jamaica, coming from the continent of Africa also. All right, we have to get out of here. Remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct your own behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today. Hi. I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting, LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365, and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215 879-6701. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing 
our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV, the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network, subscribe now.